and gentlemen, sports fans around the world, Run the Point is back from our long hiatus. Just to remind you guys who we are, I am Rob the Cuban, recording live from the East Coast, New Jersey, just outside of the Big Apple. And what would a sports talk show be if the listeners didn't know where my sports allegiances lie? So I am a fan of the New Orleans Saints. Yes, I'm still upset. The New York Yankees, very excited about the upcoming season. And those Sacramento Kings, you can forget that for now, but I salute for the team in purple out there on the West Coast. On the other side is Mr. Aaron. And then, let's see, basketball, don't really have a fandom, but, you know, I roll with Dub Nation, more so for Steph and Aisha, more so Aisha than Steph. She cooking me dinner tonight, by the way. Um, baseball, got to go with the Braves and both socks. always repping. And, yeah, I don't really watch soccer, uh, so I don't really care. Soccer? <laughs> Uh, yeah, <laughs> golf, go Tiger, man. It's all about Tiger. Come back. Come back, kid. <laughs> hey, but before we get things started, I think, Aaron, we had a slight technical difficulty. Um, uh, I believe it picked up by you saying what you had to say about those good old dubs. But once again, just tell the people out there where you're, where you're from, where you're at. Out in Cali, NorCal, Bay Area. Uh, so definitely, like I said, football, Pat Nation, TB12 going for six, NBA. Uh, more of a fan of players than teams. Steph is my favorite player since Kobe retired. Uh, so I'm rolling with the Dubs and baseball. Definitely a Braves fan and a Red Sox fan. At some point during Run the Point, we will get into whether or not it is allowed to like two teams in one sport. But that's neither here nor there for the time being. All right, so the first thing we need to talk about is, of course, this uh, football game that's happening in just a few short days on on Sunday in Minneapolis, Minnesota. Uh, As you all just heard, Aaron is a New England Patriots fan, so no need for us to sit there and decipher who he's going to be rooting for. Um, first thing we want to discuss is the line in the game. So New England is favored by four and a half points, and the total point scored projection is 48.5 total points in the game. Now, Aaron, what do you think about the line, and what do you think about the over-under with 48 and a half points? So I actually think the line's pretty accurate. Uh, you know, I, I'm, a, I'm a fan. I, I think the Super Bowls are usually close games. Um, there no, you don't really get blowouts during the Super Bowl, or, or we haven't recently. Um, and the Patriots aren't known for blowing teams out in the Super Bowl. They're always come down to those. Uh, so I can definitely see the, the, the four and a half, definitely. Um, that's, you know, a touchdown. That's essentially what it is, um, in my opinion. So I definitely see that going in the Pats' favor, late game pull away or something might, you know, get you that four and a half. Total point. I'm gonna have to agree with. I would, I'm, gonna have to, I'm gonna have to agree with, with the line real quick. Sorry to cut you off there, my friend, but uh, I, I I can't let people forget, lest you yourself, that the majority of these New England Patriots Super Bowl victories were decided by 
um, the most important person on the team, the kicker, or by a whole extra time put on the clock, as was the case last year. Um, so so the, the line, I feel like, is, is very just. But go ahead, give us your thoughts on the total points. Total points, I think, is, is pretty – pretty high. I mean, I don't think it's going to be that high scoring of a game. My opinion, it's like, you know, going to be a 28, you know, 21 kind of a deal or something like that. But, uh, yeah, I definitely don't see it getting up into the 30s like we saw last year. Just my opinion. I don't expect a true shootout. Uh, you know, I think both teams are kind of good at, at this point or are great at what they do. So, uh, it's just more so of what team is going to inflict its will and who do you trust. Well, does 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 twenty eighteen Nick Foles even know what a shootout is? Maybe like twenty fourteen Nick Foles, but I, I don't know if the current version of Nick Foles even is capable of of handling such a contest. Um, but you know, as far as the total points, my my only concern about that about that number forty eight and a half is whether or not Philly gets in a hole early. Because if they go down by double digits, 10-plus points early in the game, I don't see Foles or the current state of the Eagles offense being able to, to rally a comeback or even just being able to score in bunches. But if it's a, if it's a somewhat close game, if it's neck and neck, uh, you know, I, I, can see, I can see something like a 27-20 type of game, which is almost on par with the 48.5 points. So we'll see. But as you mentioned, Darren, they're usually close games, uh, just – now, if those Eagles fall behind early, I'm not going to be too confident in their ability to catch back up. Yeah, and I, and I think it's one of those same things, and I think they kind of get the um, – I think it's uh, – I could see this game kind of going a couple of different ways, but I do see them going down early. I still could see them catching up because I think it's going to be one of those games that the scoreboard is going to make it seem a lot closer than the game was actually played. So I think it could be one of those things, like if you see the Pats go up like 14-3 or something, um, to where it's kind of, you know, it's essentially a two-score you know, two score game, and then, you know, maybe the Eagles get like a late-game touchdown kind of, you know, towards garbage time, and it's like, oh, you know, they score with a minute left. Now they can kick the onside kick and get this back and take it back down and then do these miracle things and force overtime and, all these things, and it's kind of one of those deals to where it's like, okay, you know, I, you know, if they get a late game, you know, garbage time TD, then okay, um, I could see it. But you know, I think, like I said earlier, I think it's going to be closer than uh, the most people think. And uh, you know, Eagles got a good squad, so I'm not counting them out. You know, my, and that's my biggest thing is too is uh, uh, I think the Pats do got to start fast. Uh, that Eagles. D-line is, is no joke, and that's almost kind of the Achilles heel of the Patriots um, has been a, you know, a quick, fast D-line. Um, but, you know, so if it's a, it's a close game that kind of went, renders itself on the Eagles a little bit uh, in their favor, although you never bet against Brady. But, um, you know, at the end of the day, it is kind of, you know, they, do, they have a shot, so I will say that much. I, I'm not completely counting them out. Well, that that uh that Eagles defense is is nothing to to take lightly for sure. Um, but now speaking of the Patriots starting fast, I, I want to get into um, this this point next. In that I'm I'm always amazed at how the Patriots and and Belichick and that whole organization 
just year in, year out, consistently perseveres when they have when they're missing key parts, when they add new players to key positions. Uh, now th- this year, Edelman is obviously injured. Uh, now Gronk had the concussion; he's he should be back on Sunday. But you know, he's 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 dinged up throughout the season for the most most part. You're bringing well, he cooks from from my concussion boot. protocol, so he's good. He's officially listed Perfect. as available. Perfect, because what would a Super Bowl be without without Gronk and his antics? But anyway, uh, then bringing in Cooks to to be the the quote unquote number one receiver on on the Patriots, uh, and then I mean all these running backs as they just they just recycle in year in year out. You know they had Blunt last year. This year they bring in Gillisley. They have all these receiving backs. Uh, it just doesn't seem to to matter much who Belichick throws into this offense. Just it's like clockwork. It, it's it's so consistent. The, the the scheme, the the whole the whole offense is is one of the best, if not the best, in the league. Uh, you know, you being a Pats fan, shed a little bit of light on on what you maybe maybe read or see or or digest as, as a fan, as far as year in year out, uh, this this overturning roster and really nothing seems to skip a beat. Um, so for me, I think it's it's an onus on a couple of things. Like my biggest thing is this: is that you know every year, and I, I think this it goes to coaching and it goes to coaching and everything is the one thing the Patriots do is they find players who fit, um, you know, a system or so they might not get the most athletic guy, but they get a guy who has a certain skill set and they use it and they put that guy um, in a skill set. And if that's how you make your money, then to me, it's like, that's smart on the owner. To me, it's kind of like, um, you know, why would you have Brady out here running read options when he's probably one of the slowest players in the league, but you're just going to sit here and force him to do something he's not good at. Um, and I think that nobody, nobody wants to see Brady that's run. The onus on, right. And, and that to me is the onus on the coaching to where it's, they continuously seek out and coach guys up and then put them in positions uh, to where their skill set and to where they can succeed. Um, and I think that's, to me, just the biggest thing that I notice day in and day out um, team is just that they're constantly getting guys and then they put them in position um, to win. It's, it's amazing. It's, you know, James Harrison has been revitalized, you know, after spending years in Pittsburgh, you know, coming over to uh, the dark side with him. And he's, he's made, a, you know, a positive impact. Now, is he the same James Harrison that he was, you know, in his heyday? No, but – to be better than the James Harrison uh, at the beginning of the year? Yes. Um, <laughs> he, was, he wasn't even so playing I think, for most of, the, most of the year. Yeah. Um, and that was part of one of the reasons why he got let go and he wanted out of there. Um, it's just because he felt he could get playing time, and he's come to the Patriots, and they've used him in key situations. He made a key play uh, against Jacksonville when he needed it. You know, So that, to me, is – is what um, you know Belichick and these guys continuously do. Matt Patricia, Josh McDaniel, um, is they get these guys, coach them up, and then put them in positions to say, okay, you're good at doing this, so this is what we want you to do. Uh, you know, it's like, okay, Danny Amendola, you're five nine, uh, you run like a you know four seven. All right, we're gonna throw these fade routes to you in the end zone. Like, no, <laughs> put him on the inside, put him in the slot. You know, get matchups and, uh, you know, exploit those matchups. And that, to me, is coaching. And, you know, some people are like, oh, you know, 
And it's not talented. Brady's a system quarterback. He's this, he's that. Well, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what he is. He's, you know, one of the greatest ever to play the game. Uh, you don't got to be the most athletic. You just got to win. Um, I, I think that there's a strict height. All great points. I, I think that there's a strict height and weight requirement to be a New England Patriot wide receiver. If you line up Edelman, Cooks, Hogan, Amendola, I, I don't know, but there just seems to be this 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 replica, this mold that that Belichick wants to fit. Like you guys are all all the same build. This is what's going to fit our system. And whether that's true or not, but I I just I just find it interesting that all these guys seem to have similar build, similar makeup. Uh, but just to shed more light on what we were just discussing, another thing that's also intriguing to me is how the Patriots always seem to know just the right amount to get out of a veteran player. Yeah, they they don't they don't seem to overpay guys. They don't seem to keep guys uh, around uh, to a point where they're going to overstay their welcome. Uh, they don't usually give in to you know if a, if a player's trying to squeeze them out with a little bit of more money in the contract. I mean, Randy Moss came over, set records, and they were like, all right, thanks thanks for you know thanks for your service. Good luck, dude. Peace. It's incredible. But I, I also don't want to remiss talking about this because. Towards the second half of the year, I mean, they've been vastly improved. And I was just sitting earlier thinking about their secondary and just, just the guys that they have back there, Stephon Gilmore, Malcolm Butler, Patrick Chung, McCourty. I mean, collectively, that secondary is really good. I mean, that's a Pro Bowl-level secondary, and I don't think that the New England Patriots get enough credit for, for their defense, let alone the talent that they have in that secondary Um what have you seen from the defense as the season has progressed? So our so our defense is I one thing I hate about our defense is this is um we are a bend but don't break defense and it is very frustrating um to watch as a fan because um you know, sometimes you're just like, Okay, I don't really I, I don't need this right now. It's like Get a stop, get off the field, and let's, you know, let's go. But, you know, they'll give up a couple of first downs, they'll do this, but then, you know, they only give up the field goal or they'll stop them and they'll force a punt, but then, you know, the other team has the ability to flip the field and, and stuff like that. So, for me, that's, you know, it's frustrating to watch. Um, our secondary is very stout. Um, but, you know, they at the beginning of the year, they, they were very susceptible to the big play. But I just think it, you know, it was all with Gilmore coming over. There's a lot of miscommunication between him and Butler and, and the other guys in the secondary, how the safeties. And so, I, to me, it's frustrating. I trust them, but it's frustrating to watch. You know, same thing last week or two weeks ago in the AFC title game uh, when we needed to play, Gilmore made a play. Um and got to stop. So, um, it, like I said, it's, I don't know. It's frustrating, but it's good. You trust them. You know, as, as it's bad for my, uh, you know, for my heart. I'll tell you that much. <laughs> That's what I think of them. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Speaking of that play by Gilmore, if if people want to want to go and check out the, the, the cover picture of the Run the Point Facebook page, I believe it is just that, Gilmore laying out. It is. And and, and all, all all of his glory making making that that critical play in the game, uh, but yeah, I mean it's 
so what do you what do you think about the performance of of the defensive line? Because when you have a bend but don't break defense, and when there's a lot of stress put on the secondary, first thing I look at is the, is that that front four. Uh, what what's what's been the uh, the general general success rate, general play, general progression of the D line that you've seen at least the last uh, the last half of the season or so? It's improved in the run game. We do not get pressure uh, in the pass game. So I don't think it puts a lot of um, on, a pressure on the secondary because they know that. We also play a lot of soft coverage. Um, we're not a big physical bump and run, man-to-man, um, you know, line up your best guy, put him on an island type of guy, uh, type of team, type of defense. So um, it fits well within our defensive scheme um, because it's kind of, you know, we keep guys in the pocket, force them to make throws, force them to make throws into tight, you know, windows because you got a bunch of guys, um, you know, on the backside drop back in coverage. Um, you know, just force them to continuously make plays, and that's what it is. It's, they're just going to continue to force you to, uh, you know, make that play. And if you continually do it and you, you know, and you beat them, then congratulations. Um, but, you know, nine times out of ten, they're just going to bet that Brady's going to be able to make more uh, throws than the opposing guy, um, you know. Uh, absolutely. Um, now, we, of course, didn't forget about the other team playing in this game. But before we talk about the Eagles a bit, I do want to make one final point on the Patriots. And I, I, I don't know what it is, but there seems to be year in, year out, at least one or two players who were dismissed by their by their team or dismissed by the NFL in its entirety. Patriots say, come along, come along, you know, you you can you can fit our system. We have we have a place for you. They just they just hit the fountain of youth. All of a sudden, you know, a guy who's 35 plays like he's 25. Um, I'm gonna bring up a, a name to you, Aaron, and I want to know if you if you uh, recall this this uh, this gentleman, Rob Ninkovich. Does that name ring a bell, Rob Ninkovich? Yeah, he uh, he. I don't even know what he he played defensive end slash. Outside linebacker, so yeah, he's very familiar with the man. He had a nice beard All right, too. So he, great beard. he had a great <laughs> he had a great beard. He had a great beard, and he played his college ball at, at Purdue, which is where the great Drew Brees went. And speaking of Drew Brees, I'm going to tell you the team who gave up on Rob Nankovich before he went to the Patriots. That team being the New Orleans Saints. On to the Eagles. On to the Eagles. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so one one of the things that that I believe you mentioned as a concern as a Pats fan is is that Eagles defense. So, first and foremost, uh, Eagles defense is is one of the best in the league. Uh, but specifically, what is it that concerns you about their defense as a Pats fan? Uh, the biggest thing is, like I said earlier, is their ability to get pressure without blitzing. Um, you know, it, that's the biggest thing. That's the number one thing that you know everyone knows of how you. You know, frustrate, slow down. You know, and you know, ultimately, potentially beat the Patriots is being able to get pressure um, without, you know, blitzing and sending extra guys. And they have that ability, and they got a lot of guys, so they can rotate that line and you know, keep them, uh, you know, keep them fresh. And so, uh, that to me is just kind of the biggest thing. 
Uh, that's the scary thing. So uh, for me, you know, Fletcher Cox is a name that comes. Chris Long, um, you know, who played with the Patriots and won, you know, Super Bowl with us last year. Um, all great guys and all guys who have the ability to make plays. So, um, you know, that's, that to me is the biggest thing. And if, you know, if we can protect Brady, then I definitely think we have the ability to make because um, I think their, you know, their weak point as a defense is the secondary, but it's kind of mass just given the great play of that defensive line. So I agree entirely, but I'll, I'll, I'll give you one name who we cannot forget about. And not only is this guy a great football player and a great safety, but he is probably one of, one of the prime activists in, in all of the NFL and a former Ohio State Buckeye and a former New Orleans State, Malcolm Jenkins. All that D-line is incredible. All they have a lot of guys that they can rotate in, keep fresh. All they do do a tremendous job of getting pressure on the quarterback, often without blitzing. I do believe that at the end of the day, Malcolm Jenkins is the heart and soul of that Philly defense. Um, I agree with you, but I agree with you only on a certain point. Of it's the same thing that I said was key and I was right against with Jacksonville is is that, yes, they have great guys on the outside with A.J. Aboye and Jalen Ramsey. Um, But, you know, Brady, when he sees Malcolm Jenkins, you know, whoever he's lined up on, that's not his number one. He's like, okay, cool, you got that guy taken out. But, you know, the Patriots have a Brandon Cooks. They have a Chris Hogan. They got playoff Danny Amendola going. They got Gronk. You know, they got the backs coming out of the backfield. So it's kind of like, okay, you know, Malcolm Jenkins can't cover all of those guys. So, yes, while he is great. Absolutely um, not. You know, that's, you know, that's the thing. So it's kind of like, all right, cool. We'll just spread you out. And whoever Malcolm covers, uh, you know, obviously I'm not throwing the ball to him. So, uh, you know, Danny Amendola, as we've seen, can make plays. Um, you know, you can put him on – um, your boy uh, Cooks, you know, you still got Hogan, you still got Gronk, you still got this, and you, know, you put them on Gronk. Now that we, you know, they're switching them off for Cooks. So, to me, it's it's a game of matchups, and that's where the Patriots, you know, succeed the best is, you know, finding those matchups and exploiting them, and you know, having more options than you have <laughs> defenders. You know, kind of like Golden State. It's like, okay, cool, you take. Curry out the game, well, they still can kill you with Clay, or they still can kill you with KD. You know, you take him out of the game, then okay, cool. Now it's like pick your poison and. Hey, 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 hey! hey. We're not, we're not, we're not going to talk about the Western Conference All Star team quite yet. We'll get to that later in the show. Get to that later in the show. But, but, but you make a great point, and the pat, the pats of the they spread you out is as good as anyone in the NFL, and they have so many options. And you didn't even mention the the three or four running backs that they rotate in and out throughout the game. Um, I was talking about how how much I'm impressed by New England's secondary a little, a little earlier. Um, I, now I want to get into whether or not we think that the Eagles' wide receiving core, and although throw Zach Ertz in there, is going to be a problem for them because Zach Ertz, big physical tight end, Alshon Jeffrey, uh, you know, when when he when he seems like he's giving max effort, you no, know, he's a very reliable big big receiver, and then you got uh, you got pretty good slot receivers as well in Philly. Um, does the Eagles wide receiver score, court scare you at all or no? Um, 
yes and no. Uh, Zach Ertz does. Um, uh, you know, he's kind of really the only person um, that really, you know, sticks out that um, kind of, you know, as a name, only because we don't have, you know, our best linebacker in Dante Hightower. Uh, you know, if he was on the, you know, if he was out there, then I would say no. Uh, I think kind of one-on-one, they all equal out with each other. But now that we don't have anyone to kind of match up with him, he does present a problem. Uh, but, you know, I'll take, you know, I'll take Gilmore, uh, you know, matched up with any of their receivers one-on-one. I'll take Malcolm Butler, you know, matched up against any of their guys one-on-one any day. Um, you know, they're not going to win every single matchup. I'm not going to say that, you know, these guys don't go off and, you know, they're going to get shut down and locked down. No, but, um, you know, if we ever, you know, if there's ever that play where, you know, they decide to, to blitz and bring the house and those guys are asked to make a play and, and be on an island, as we saw, um, you know, against Jacksonville, they're able to make plays. Um, and uh, I trust them. I, I do think I do think if guys like Alshon Jeffrey, LeGarrette Blunt, Jay Ajayi, Zach Ertz, I, I do think that if if they if they can get really physical with New England's secondary, that that you know they can wear them down throughout the course of a game. But on the other side of things, we got Mr. Nick Foles throwing the ball, and by no means do I expect him to spread the ball around. Anywhere near to the point that that Brady can, so no, it's it's gonna it's gonna come down to quarterback play, in my opinion. Um, but you know, the Eagles' defense is, is is definitely the strength of their team. But you know, they do have a talented offense as well, and it seems like random games, Nelson Aguilar just comes out of nowhere and just decides to play football. So one guy that we can't forget about, he's he's definitely made a big jump this season compared to. Uh, seasons past in his career, and I I think he's got a he's got a bright future. Um, what is your what is your opinion on the Eagles' offensive system, and whether or not you think Foles? Uh, obviously, we have a small sample size, but whether or not you think Foles can run it even moderately well, because you know they obviously have high hopes for Wentz. He's you know, he's one of the brightest young quarterbacks in the league. Doug Peterson molded that offense around him, I'm sure. And here comes Nick Foles trying to save the day. Eagles make the Super Bowl. Are there many adjustments that you feel the Eagles are going to make on offense? Or do you think Peterson's like, all right, Foles, this is our system. You know, you've been practicing with us all year long. You've been with the team. Just go ahead and run it. I mean, I think that's exactly what you do. I, to me, it's why this, you, this is where teams get mixed up, and this is where teams – um, and this is kind of a why the Patriots succeed so much, and um, in my opinion as well. So I think with the Eagles, you stick to what you what got you there. This is not the game to, you know, ch- change anything. Um, I mean, obviously you have a little bit of wrinkles, so maybe out of a you know a certain formation, maybe you switch up the personnel. Maybe you had Zachers on the inside, maybe you throw them on the outside, um, something like that. But the Patriots, they don't really have a true identity. Uh, you know, one week they'll come and pound the football, um, you know, and run certain things. And then the next week, uh, you know, there'll be something totally different. They'll have Brady throw the ball, you know, 50 times or something. So that what makes it hard to prepare for the passes because they're, 
Um, you know, they're chameleon. They find your weakness, and then they do their best to exploit it. Um, you know, find what you do best and then not allow you to do that. Um, and so I think that's, to me, just the biggest thing of what makes them so great. And then, you know, sometimes other teams, they try and get too fancy uh, and get ahead of themselves and do things like that or go away from who they are. Um, and we kind of saw that with Atlanta last year. Uh, you know, they came out and they played well for half, you know, half and, you know, half a quarter. And then, you know, they just kind of got away from who they are and, you know, started letting doubt creep in. And then next thing you know, you let the Patriots get some mojo and some swagger, and then, you know, you see what happens. I think you, you've got to stick with what got you there. I, I agree 100%. But I do want to point out that if you're going to look at an offensive system like New England, an offensive system like New Orleans, um, hey, even a system like, like Kansas City and what it, Andy Reid does, does with his offense, because uh, at the beginning of the year, Kansas City was throwing up some major points. Um, you know, those are systems that have been in place for, for year after year after year after year. You know, Doug Pearson hasn't been the coach of the Eagles for that long, so I don't know how much confidence and faith I have in Philly offensive system being one in which we're just going to say, all right, Nick Foles, step right in. Just, just trust us. Everything will work out. So I think a lot of it does rest on Foles' shoulders and on his right arm, and remains to be seen if he's up for the challenge. How surprised were you, Aaron, at how much of a blowout the NFC Championship game was? I, I was I was not surprised because, to quote the, the great Dennis Green, the Vikings are who we thought they were. I, I'm not even going to get into the to my feelings about the, the Saints-Vikings game, but I definitely think that Minnesota was riding on an extreme high and, and they probably were walking into Philly with their chest held high, and, and the Eagles were like, no, not today, son, not today. Just, just, some, just some quick thoughts on, on whether you feel like Philly outmatched Minnesota that much to a 38-7 to deficit, or if you, if you think that you know, maybe they caught Minnesota napping a bit. Um, so I don't. So here's the biggest thing that Philly does that scares me. Um, and that they're great at, and I think the whole thing was, was Philly is a team, and in that stadium at home, um, one, they're not the same team when they're on the road than when they're playing in Philly. Um, you know, as most teams aren't, you know, a lot of teams play better at home. But I think with that game in particular, um, you know, I think the Eagles just came out to play, and you know, Minnesota was prepared, but I think they let the game get away from them, and that's also credit to Philly to where it's like they knew they had them on the ropes, and they did what, you know, some teams, what you're supposed to do. And you just go for the throw. You go for the juggler. You just continue to, you know, ride it, be aggressive, and, you know, you don't let up. And some teams, they get caught in, and they let up, and then they – you know, the 28 to 3 happen. That's how it happens. You let up, you get complacent, you start playing the clock, and say, ah, it's, you know, you start getting And that is exactly what happened with the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's exactly what happened with the Jacksonville Jaguars. Why did the Jaguars just take a knee and go into halftime when they had, I believe, just shy of a minute left in the half, and I believe they had two timeouts? They're like, eh, we're good. 
but when you Jacksonville hit the, definitely I let up. I understand that because they they were getting the ball back. So you don't put you know you don't put a, a quarterback of Blake Bortles stature in those kind of situations. That's a that was more so of we don't trust our quarterback not to make a mistake. And but you've to, got to in that situation you know, you've got to you, you've got to because how is that gonna how is that gonna mess with Bortles psyche throughout the rest of the game? And I do firmly believe it did mess with his psyche. It, I don't think it did. It's because it was the same thing they've done all year. It's they managed the clock, they managed the game, and they relied on their defense. They're not a – They were so you know, hot in the first half. They were so hot. But they, but the thing was is they're not a, a high-scoring offensive team. They're a defensive team. They run the football, and they play good defense. That's who Jacksonville is. So in that situation, it's like we're not going to go away from who we are. We're not, you know, we don't want to put our quarterback in a position. The Patriots have kind of gotten back in the game. Let's just, you know, let you know, let the momentum go out. We're getting the ball. Let's go down. And let's score. And that's exactly what they did. Granted, it wasn't six. They kicked the field goal, but you know, they got some points. So it, to me, it kind of, you know, it worked out. The Eagles are an aggressive team, you know, so that's why they did it because that's who they are. They're an aggressive team. They've been aggressive all year. They take shots. Jacksonville rarely takes shots. You know, they're very calculated. Okay, run it, run it, throw. You know, throw it just to break tendencies. You know, keep them honest, and then come back and hit you with Fournette for a couple more. So that to me is, you know, who they are, and I don't think it messed with Bortle psyche. I just think that's who they are. You know, that's the team. That's their mentality. That's what, you know, we're going to do. I see your it point. Have, the wheels completely would have fell off had he went down through an interception. Patriots came down, kicked another field goaler, or took it in for six. Then they would have been just like, uh-oh. It's like, okay, we got the lead. We're still in the lead. You know, we can, as long as we go out, we score, get another calculated drive, get back in control. And that's what happened. But I think it comes a certain point in time to where, you got to make some plays, and they didn't make those plays. And that's that's what it came down to. That's what I said. The Patriots will put you in positions to where it's like, okay, you can sit here and run, and we're going to keep it close, but at the same time, it's going to come a third and eight uh, where you got to make a play, you know, to keep the drive going to get in the field goal range or something. And that's when the defense will buckle down. That's when they'll do something, you know, and say, okay, Blake Bortles, Gotta make the throw, <laughs> and it's not going to be easy. And, and and you know what? We're talking about how teams teams need to stick to their identity. And what you just, I agree with what you said, and that fits perfectly well for regular season Jacksonville Jaguars. But play playoff Jacksonville Jaguars AFC Championship game, playing New England at home, you, you're you're dominating the first half. I just personally think you got to keep that foot on the gas. And if you're go, if you're going to take a chance at any point in the game. I'm not saying they, they should have been aggressive for all four quarters and Wardle should have been aggressive himself all four quarters, but if you're going to take a chance, I just thought that was a missed opportunity. So agree to disagree, respectfully disagree, but you did make some great points. Hey, Jacksonville are who we thought they were. Now, we we need to move on to uh, this uh, trade that is apparently happening in the National Football League. Uh, one by the name of uh, Alex Smith, uh, former first-round, number one overall pick, rather, out of Utah, 
which just to remind folks, and perhaps yourself, Aaron, but I bet you know this, in that same year, Utah also had the number one overall pick in the NBA, Mr. Who? Do you remember who that was? I don't. Oh, oh, Andrew Bogut. Ah, okay. Number one, same, same year, number one overall pick, Utah, NBA, Andrew Bogut, NFL, Alex Smith. So just a little bit of facts for you, um, but just just some hot takes on the Alex Smith tra- trade real quick before we move on to, to some NBA topics. Um, Kirk Cousins, man, that, that whole turmoil, debacle, fiasco, soap opera, whatever you want to call it with Washington that's been going on for the last two years is finally, finally coming to an end. And is it about money? Is it about the Redskins deciding, all right, Kirk, we've seen what you got. Nah, we're good. we're going to move on. Um, from, from the Redskins' perspective, just, just initially, w- one, one reason, Aaron, why you think they made, made that trade? Because they weren't going to be able to sign Kirk Cousins. It's plain and simple. It's very obvious. You they would they demand- need the trade. So, so you think that they were not willing to give Kirk Cousins the money that he would have demanded? Yes. Complete reason why they said, okay, um, we're going to trade him solely because, hey, they weren't going to be able to reach a deal, so we can't reach a deal, then let's go get our guy. Um, and to me, they're the exact same people. Um, average to good quarterbacks who I don't trust, you know. <laughs> so I, I think Kirk Cousins is facing a harsh reality that, he perhaps is not worth nearly as much as he and his agent think he's worth. Um, but I, I do think that I do think that both quarterbacks are moderate, average quarterbacks. Um, but I do think that Alex Smith is much more of what was popularly referred to as a as a game manager versus Cousins. I, I think Kirk has a, a lot of raw talent. I mean, you know, you watch this guy and. Yeah, good Kirk, bad Kirk. You know, he he can make all the throws. He's got a strong arm, but he just he just doesn't seem to fit the Redskins well. I I just don't think that that he's been able to to maximize his potential, his talents. I don't know if it's Kirk himself. I don't know if it's the Redskins' offense. I don't know if it's the coaching staff. But as you mentioned, they went out and got their guy. Alex Smith is clearly their guy, um, and I do think Smith fits what the Redskins want to do on offense more than Kirk Cousins does, and for a cheaper price. Well, here's the thing with the Redskins. I don't think anybody knows who the Redskins are or what they want to be. They're in line my confusion. I was like, is it the coach? Is it Kirk himself? Is it, is it the, the, the offense? You're right. Nobody knows who the Redskins are. Yeah. I think it's everything, though. Like, in my opinion, is like I don't think their coaching staff is the best. Um I solely don't believe in Kirk Cousins that he is the heir to the throne um, that's going to bring you to, uh, you know, a Super Bowl. I to me, he's a better Blake Bortles in my opinion. That's it. He's a guy you surround him with pieces, and if he has a good year, he can get you to and potentially lead you to a Super Bowl. He's he's like a Brad Johnson, you know, a more athletic Brad Johnson. Um, you put Brad Johnson on that great Tampa Bay Buccaneers 
you know, defense, and it's like, hey, don't lose us the game. That's what you tell your quarterback. I'm not asking you to win us the game. Just don't lose it for us. Um, and that's, to me, who both of these guys are. I don't trust Alex Smith. I don't trust Kirk Cousins. Um, you know, they're just average to good quarterbacks. They are who they are at this point in time. There's, They're not – you know, Kirk Cousins is going to be 30 this year. I think Alex Smith is going to be 33 or 34. Like, that is, there's yeah, no more development like at this point in time. You know, they're not right. – it's not like one's 25 and one's 33 or something and you can say, okay – you know, the kid, this kid's played, you know, average. He just needs to get with a solid team. He's got the intangibles, but he's been on the Cleveland Browns. Um, isn't isn't it around some good coaching and, and stuff. So, uh, and that's just my thing was kind of like they've been in good to decent organizations. They've had some, you know, somewhat of success, but their success came when they were playing at, you know, high levels. But the thing is, is that these guys can't consistently play at that level. And when they're not at that level, they're okay. <laughs> I, I, I'm just amazed that Kirk Cousins is 30 years old already. I mean, I, I blinked an eye, and he, he spent seven years in the NFL. What happened? I've, I, obviously, he sat behind RG3 for all those years. But, yeah, Kirk Cousins, you know, at, at 30 years old or approaching 30 years old, no, I, I'm sorry, folks. I don't have Kirk Cousins' birthday memorized. Uh, my sincerest apology. But he'll yeah. be 30 at you the made, start you, of the season. He's like currently but, 29, but he'll be 30 at the start of the new season. Well, I mean, uh, just 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 feeding into to the whole development thing. You're right. Neither quarterbacks going to develop anymore. They, they are they are somewhat similar, uh, but I I do I do favor Alex Smith's efficiency and his completion percentage and his his ability to, to manage a game a little bit more than Kirk Cousins, and perhaps that's what Washington wants. But as we both agreed on, we don't really know what Washington wants. Now, yeah, I mean, I, 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 do, <laughs> I, do, I do really, really want to see Kirk Cousins win a playoff game with his next team. Hopefully they don't play the Saints and just, on every single social media and media platform, troll the Redskins with a, you like that? You like that? I would love that. <laughs> so, I, I honestly think, and, I, and if they can do it, and here's the thing, though, is what Kirk Cousins want is a lot of money, and if he could take less money and go to Denver, I think he has a legit shot at leaving Denver, solely because their defense is that good. You know, it's a like I said, it's a Brad Johnson, the Rich Gannon kind of a deal. Hey, you're not asking but you to I, win us the I, game. I do, I do think, I do think he's, he's side, they can ball. Let them I do, do think Cousins. I do think Cousins is is a bit more talented than a guy like Brad Johnson. But but I but I see where you're going with this, and I and, and I do agree. No, no, I, and yeah, I, 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 no. I'm not saying he is uh, <laughs> he's as bad or unathletic. <laughs> Or average is Brad Johnson. I'm saying he's just going to be no, no, that, no. in that kind of role. Um, hey, right, right. Look, we and, got Ronnie yeah, Barber, been... Warren Sapp, uh, you know, John Lynch, all these amazing, you know, defensive Hall of Famers on that, you know, defense. You don't have to do much. Just turn the ball, you know, turn around, hand the ball off to an aging Ward Dunn, throw it to Keyshawn every once in a while, <laughs> and you're good. 
I've, I've been I've been highly critical of of Denver ever since they turned the ball over to uh, the carousel of Trevor Simeon and and every and Paxton Lynch started a couple of games and you know that that uh, that random guy who remains nameless who who went to Cleveland and went to Houston and came back to Denver. I mean, you got you, you just won it all with Peyton Manning. You have the perfect team to to win it with a veteran quarterback such as Peyton Manning. And I don't know why they didn't go out. I don't recall who was available in the free agent market the season after they had won the championship. But I was I was actually angry as a fan, like Denver, bring in a veteran quarterback because you have a team well, that that's was... window is is still open, and you and you, you you give it to these to these bums. Well, that was still the same time they had, um, uh, um what should we call it? That was the year where Peyton had got hurt. They went into Osweiler. Osweiler won them a couple of games. And then at the end of the year, Peyton retired. Osweiler was a free agent. Osweiler got the big contract and, and left. Um, of course. So they, but, they but were I, kind I, of caught I, off I guard. Think they, I don't think they expected Osweiler to leave. I, I do think they were caught off guard. Yeah. But, yeah. but, but that's he, what I'm saying. That, I think that, they were all it. in on Osweiler, and then he left, and they were like, oh, crap, so who's <laughs> yeah. Uh, who's next? I mean, I mean, I mean, damn, man. I mean, at that point, hey, I would have been fine if they were brought in good old Josh McCown. I just, it does like that. That's a perfect Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer scenario right there in Denver. That's a perfect Brad Johnson, Trent Dilfer scenario. And then perhaps they were shocked by Osweiler, as he mentioned, could be. But I, I just think that they really, really missed the boat as an organization, bringing bringing somebody with any semblance of experience. Uh, but anyway, yeah. we're not here to I talk mean, about Denver. We're not here to talk about yeah. Denver. So, um, you know, we can move on to uh, Mr. Harden and his sixty-point triple double. Yeah. So, so this is this is a, cu- a couple of days old now. But um, if, if you didn't know, Harden had the first ever sixty-point triple double in NBA history, uh, and but that's impressive, sure. Uh, but I was I was watching some of uh, Colin Colin Coward talk. And oh, he made a lot of he, <laughs> so I'm I'm not gonna I'm not gonna share my opinion of of his show or anything like that, but just just a couple of points that he made uh, that I I strongly agree with. So I'm not gonna waste time reiterating them, but I want to get your your, your uh, opinion on these. So a couple points he made was being highly critical of the Houston announcer, just just very very emotionally say, oh, my gosh, this is this is the best thing I've ever seen, and I've called games for Hakeem Olajuwon and so forth and so on. And Colin was like, wait, what? You, you've, you've called uh, Hakeem the dream's career? You're saying this triple-double is the best thing you've ever seen? And then another thing, Colin made a point that I also strongly agree with about this being a very offensive-friendly time in the NBA, and D- D'Antoni is, is, you know, very uh, – Guard friendly coach, um, you know, just just bringing up D'Antonio at random, just just to kind of shed light on the fact that guard, guards seem to be running running things nowadays. Uh, but your opinion on, on how impressive it actually was, and also your opinion on do you think the fact that the current state of the NBA taints all this high scoring triple double situation a little bit because there's so many more triple doubles recently in the last couple of years, three years, and there were in years past. 
Um, so to me, it's like I don't want to get into this whole, you know, the state of the NBA, one more physical, one less. Like, it is what it is. Like, it's more entertaining. That's what a lot of the um, things have to do, like, to remain relevant. In this day and age, you got to be entertaining. you got to get the rating. So, yes, they've changed the rules to make the game more offensive-friendly. Um, at the end of the day, does that change the feet? Does that affect the feet? No. Like, I hate when people say and do stuff like that to say, oh, well, he only got it because they've changed the rules and all this other stuff. Like, no. Like, it, regardless of whatever it does, to score 60 points and still have – a triple double, that's amazing. Like, obviously, it's the it's the reason why, regardless of what kind of era this is in, um, it's only been done one time because it's just an amazing feat. Um, and it's not about oh, Dan Tony is a guard friendly coach and all these other things. To me, it's like James Harden is a great talent. The guy doesn't get a lot of credit because his game is like very you know pretty. Um, so to speak, he gets a lot of like, you know, cheap calls and, and stuff like that. And he's only, you know, one-sided when it comes to, um, you know, comes to basketball. You don't think of James Harden as a lockdown defender. You think of him, you know, he's just a pure oh, no, no way. talent kind of a guy. One of the best scores in the NBA, for sure. To, yeah. That, that, to me, takes nothing away from anything that he did that night. You know, he, he scored 60 points and had a triple-double, which to me is just amazing. Um, I do think it's, you know, could be one of the greatest uh, performances in NBA history and in Houston Rockets history. Uh, I, you know, didn't call who came to Dream Games. I wasn't there, uh, you know, during some of those eras, so I can't say uh, you know, that it was the best. But to me, it's like that's so objective anyway that, um, you know, <laughs> who really cares? It's an amazing feat. Give the guys credit. Let them get a shine. Like, to me, it's like don't take away from the feat. You know, to me, it's just like just sit back and watch greatness. And I think that's sometimes, uh, you know, one of the biggest things that we we tend to lose um, and sometimes to where it's just like let great players be great and just admire them. I'm gonna I'm gonna continue to play devil's advocate with a final point regarding this is if uh, there was a guy like uh, Meta Meta World Peace or the player formerly known as Ron Artest lurking around being a little bit physical with Harden and some of these uh, guards and and uh, smaller smaller uh, wing players in the NBA I don't think this would be flying as much but anyway can't take away from James Harden he's one of the best scorers in the NBA uh, he's a surefire MVP candidate and I don't know. Wouldn't be surprised if he, if he took home that award at the end of the season. Uh, so we got about seven and a half minutes left. Uh, I want to quickly talk about, want us to quickly talk about um, who we think is going to be a threat to Golden State at this point in the NBA season, and then we're going to wrap it up with some some discussion on on, uh, on prop betting for the Super Bowl. Uh, so I, I'm over here on the East Coast. I don't see many live Dubs games because you know I've, I've got a bedtime. Um, out there, West Coast. Obviously, Houston's a very good team. Uh, OKC is starting to gel a little bit. Uh, what do you think is the major threat to, to the Dubs at this point in the season? 
The only team that to me gives Golden State any problems is Boston Celtics. That's it. It's the only team. Nobody else can beat them. Boston Celtics. Boston Celtics. That is the one team right. as any shot of upsetting Golden State is Boston. Uh, I've I've been saying this for uh, for a couple of seasons now, uh, especially since um, the strength of the Warriors got even stronger with the addition of of KD. Um, I am hard pressed to find any team that is going to beat this current Golden State team in a seven game series in the finals, and I think one of the best chances that someone will have to do so is being extremely physical with the Warriors. And who's who's going to bully them? I look around the NBA now. Where, where are the bullies at? And you know, I'm I'm, I'm kind of branching off my my whole uh, whole point about how the NBA just isn't as physical as it was years ago, which is changing. It's entertaining. It's high scoring. I mean, the same thing's going on in the NFL and and baseball. So you know, I, I I'm with the times. I, I appreciate it, so forth and so on. But you're not going to outscore them. Uh, they're an extremely deep team. Uh, they're an extremely efficient team. Uh, I, I look around and I, I don't know who's going to be able to just throughout a seven-game series really push them around and, and, and really get physical with the Warriors and, and really just break them down over the course of a series. Uh, you, you think Boston has that uh, capability? Yeah, I think Boston is that only team that can do that to them. All right. I, it's, Boston, they have the ability Boston, to Boston, switch. Across the board, they bought down on defense. I mean, look, over the last couple of years, look, uh, you can look within the last, since, you know, the 26 and 0 start, um, pretty much that, you know, Boston is the only team that continuously gives this, has given Golden State problems. Um, and it's, you know, they had Boston had that game on Saturday and, and Golden State. And that, to me, is kind of the only thing that I see that could cause, you know, that gives that advantage to Golden State is that they have the ability to take it up a notch. Like, the Golden State we're seeing right now is not going to be playoff. NBA Finals, Golden State. Um, and for that, true, what scares true. me about OKC. That's what scares me about OKC. That's what scares me about Houston. Is okay when it comes time to flip the switch. I don't see them. They're, you know, can they flip the switch? To me, it's like I believe that the Doves can because we've seen it time and time again. But uh, I don't necessarily believe that, you know. OKC, if and when they flip the switch, is going to be great. And now that Andre Robinson is out, who is hands down their best defender, you know, now that's now that's a wrap. And that's that's a huge that's a huge loss. That's a huge loss. Uh, so we we got got about three minutes left. Not, not much time. But Aaron, why don't you close the show out by just going over some of the some of the prop bets that you found interesting going into the game Sunday? So some of the craziest prop bets that are going on right now that I think, uh, you know, I may or may not 
you know, go ahead and go with um, is who will have more points at the end of the game, the New England Patriots or James Harden? I believe the Rockets <laughs> have a game that night. <laughs> and it's kind of like, oh, he just went off of 60. Do I take, you know, what the Patriots score? And, you know, let's say they only score like 24, 20, you know, James Harden has a 30-point night. Like, that to me, that's a that's iffy. Um, mm. <laughs> you know? It, it's it's an intriguing, it is an intriguing, an intriguing bet to where it's kind of like, I don't know, I, I might take that. Um, and then another one will be uh, who will have more um, – who will have more, LeBron James points or Nick Foles pass attempts? <laughs> That's a good one. <laughs> I, I'm, I think in the first I would go with Harden. On this one, I'd go with Foles. Okay. Or on this one, so here's another one. Chris Paul points and assists versus Tom Brady completions. Mm. Tom Brady's completions. Hmm. And then here's one for Philly fans. Ben Simmons points or Philadelphia Eagles points. That one I would probably go Eagles. Yeah, I mean, I I, I don't know how, how much I'd rely on Simmons to, to, to put up to put up 20 more points uh, as as a as a yeah. sure thing, I'd I'd, I'd go I'd go yeah. with the Eagles in that one. That, yeah, I would I would go. And then here's the craziest one: the James Harden points again, or the longest distance of a field goal in the Super Bowl. So let's say oh. the longest distance. Ooh, yeah, see, <laughs> you know, that's oh. one. I mean, I mean, we I mean, only I mean, kick like I mean, a forty-two, I mean, you know. I mean, Gaskowski's got, 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 got a strong leg, yeah. I mean, I, I, I feel yeah. like this, they're going to – remember remember the popular movie Angels in the Outfield? I feel like you know, the the, uh, the spirit of uh, Vinatieri is going to be with uh, maybe with Gaskowski during that game. I can see him hit, hitting the 60-plus six, yarder. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we, we have wrapped up our return show, our return from the hiatus show of Run the Point. Thanks for joining us. We'll see you guys next week. We're out. Peace.